like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. Met a little girl, her name was June A little bit south of Saskatoon Me and Junie May, we got on fine Till I had to move on hook the line Promise that girl I'd be back soon A little bit south of Saskatoon Hey everybody now, welcome to Live on Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we are doing a year, an era that we usually don't touch up on. We have done exactly four shows from 2011, and today would be the first one that we're doing from Canada, believe it or not. This year was pretty much highlighted and dominated by PJ20, but we got a couple that happened in Canada, then they went down to South America, and it kind of, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but... It's, it's reminiscent of what they did in, in 2005, because they did both those places in 2005. And if you want to give that year a big show kind of feel like PJ20, of course, it's the Gorge. So same kind of idea there, but we're doing Saskatoon today. And maybe that's familiar to you guys because back early last year, we did a Saskatoon episode from the 2005 show. And I believe we said after that, like... Well, don't know when we're going to do the other one because there's so many provinces and so many cities that we got to do. And here we are back at Saskatoon. We're doing this because it is a Patreon request from Daniel Tatlow. We'll get to tell her story a little bit later. But now we introduce the people that we'll be talking to you this whole time. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. We are running back to Saskatoon again, if you will. Well, here's the thing. We we have to remember the lyrics because there's going to be somebody right. that should know the lyrics that that's not. All I know is that there's Moose Jaw in there, Medicine Hat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For all you hockey fans out there that like know where the players come from or where the players played in jun- juniors, everybody knows Moose Jaw and Medicine Hat. <laughs> They're like in the middle of nowhere, but everybody knows those names. Now, that's going to be a storyline for this, of course, because... <laughs> They do the song, and they did the song back in in 2005, too. And they're going to kind of go back to it here. And it's going to be something that Ed really doesn't know very well. So he's going to have to call upon one of the experts to come and help him out, which is going to be a nice little story when we get to it later. Let's talk a little bit about 2011. Like I mentioned, it's really, you know, this is going to be the fifth one that we did from this year, and it's not really on our radar a whole lot. So why do you think that a year like this, and in comparison to 2005 a little bit, why do you think a year like this might get forgotten along the pantheon of Pearl Jam tours? There's a couple of things that it has kind of against it. Number one, you mentioned, obviously, the PJ20 Fest kind of specter looms over this year and dominates this year. And a lot of people, yourself included, that was a destination. And a lot of people did that and then went, okay, like I'm I'm done for a little while. Did two nights, a lot of different songs, a lot of crazy performances. Then it was like, okay, I'm, I'm good for a little while. The other thing is that they're not really, you know, there wasn't really an album to talk about in 2011. And, you know, as you get into these later years, obviously the albums get 
a little more spaced out and you have these years of touring that we've talked about 2012 another one that you got before lightning bolt came out then you get to 2015 2016 2018 which were similar to this and that you're there's not like one album that dominates it that you can go back and be like oh that's that era like with 98 you had that with 2000 you had that with 2003 you had that 2006 you had that and then even all the years before when the albums were a little more closer together. But this doesn't really have that imprint of like one album dominating it. So on those years that that happens and like you could say 2022 has kind of been one of those years because we didn't get the 2020 tour. I think that if we had gotten the Gigaton tour in 2020, you would have probably seen a lot more of those songs. We've heard rumors that there are lots of new songs that are ready to go. So I think that in 2022, you saw the Gigaton stuff kind of fading to the to the background a little bit. And obviously, they're not going to play the new songs yet because they might not be done. They know that they're going to be bootlegged and they, they're not ready for that yet. But it'll be interesting to see. You know, we saw a lot of a lot of 10 every night. 10's the dominant album here as well. So I think those are the two reasons that these lists kind of get overlooked a little bit. Yeah, I think after the Riot Act tour, maybe even at the Riot Act tour, you get two years of this. You get two years of pretty decent touring, which 2009 and 2010 both were, and then it starts to wear off a little bit. Like, okay, well, we understand what this album is. We know what we like. We know what we don't, and we know what the band is going to bring to the table because at this time, you got to think of some of the deeper stuff off this album is not getting used at all. Gonna see my friend Johnny Guitar, Force of Nature, Force of Nature, the end, sound, supersonic. Yeah, those songs aren't really coming up as much as they did in the first two years. And for a lot of those, they weren't coming up in the first two years at all. So now we're in a position where they're kind of looking at this. They said, All right, well, Fixer got some unthought known, just breathe. Those get a good reaction from the crowd. We're just gonna stick with these every single night. And now it it takes the chaser approach out if that's something that people care about. But again, a lot of these places that they're going to Saskatoon, Edmonton, Calgary, some of these places deep in Canada, there might not be a lot of those people that go out and go on the tour. Maybe somebody, and I I know our our guest Danielle is going to mention in her story that she was at the Edmonton show after, after this, because she loved the show so much that, that she had to go there. But I would think that most people in Canada, this is kind of like a, if you're close by to this, if hell, if you're not close by, if you're like eight hours away and you want it, you just want to get to one show. This is where you're kind of splurging on it. And I'm going to get a guess that a lot of people probably didn't go to anything in 2009, anything in 2010. So this might be it for them. And I guess the band is thinking like, look, we're going to bring back some of these uh, nice little songs like In My Tree and God's Dice and, and stuff like this that we really don't bring out too much. And then they need to taste a backspacer. We're still digging it a little bit. So that's what they kind of come out with. It makes sense for this and it makes sense for when they went down to South America too. But I think in the outlook of what the backspacer era was from 2009 until 2012 this is kind of the over the hump kind of thing where you've had the prime territory for the record you had the the time where everybody was chasing songs everybody was digging and everything felt fresh and now i think it's 
the opposite where it's kind of like, okay, we can go from this. Let's see what's next. And they did this a lot on this tour. Like I mentioned, the God's Dice and the In My Trees and dissident kind of songs that don't really get brought up a lot. But that's kind of what this was. And I hate to call it like Diet 2005, but it's less shows. I think there was only 10 Canadian shows. There was less fanfare over it. I feel like 2005 was a pretty big deal at that time and pretty big deal for South America, too, being the first time they ever went down there. And yeah, PJ20 dominated the conversation. So yeah, this kind of stuff gets left off and out of conversation. And while there are some little gems that are thrown in here on that 10 show run, compared to what they did in 2010, compared to what they would do in 2013, it does fall behind the pack a little bit. But like they didn't do a lot in 2012. They only did a, you know, a few shows here and there. So this is kind of the winding down of that backspacer era. They're getting ready to kind of go back and hunker down and, and work on a new record. So I wonder how much they had from lightning bolt done at this point. Yeah. I don't think probably, that's something we really know. Probably some of it, you know, we, we know pendulum was done for, for backspacer and, sure. and didn't use. So there was probably some in the works, but yeah, I think it's just, they kind of know like, okay, this is like the last of the cycle. So let's just break it all out and go for it. And then we'll, we'll regroup for a year or so before we come back. So our opinions really don't matter like 95% of the time here. I know we make it seem like they matter, but the ones that matter are the people that submit their stories that donate to our Patreon. And that's why we love doing these episodes. We love doing their requests. And it's something that, you know, for all of the Horizon and Gigaleg patrons that are out there, I reach out to everybody. I'm like, let's get your request and we want to do it. We want to see what your story is. And uh, this one's from Danielle Tatlow. And she's been a friend. She's been a patron for a while now. And she also helped out a lot during the tours. She was watching and, and paying attention to Facebook, checking out the algorithm on Facebook and Instagram, trying to find live feeds for, for us. She came in clutch a lot. So I want to thank her for that. That was awesome. And she's up there. She's up there in Saskatchewan. So it'll be interesting to kind of see that perspective. I don't think we get a lot of that. So let's read her story off. First off, thank you so much for taking my request for Saskatoon 2011. This was my second Pearl Jam show with 2005 and Saskatoon being the first. Saskatchewan is a province in the middle of Canada, population 1.1 million. The majority of residents live in the bottom half of the province, which is all flatland prairie. The northern half of Saskatchewan is forest and lakes. I live on the border of the two in a community of 350 people. Wow. Imagine that. Imagine that. It's a three-hour drive to Saskatoon, which is the biggest city in the province at 330,000. I grew up listening to classic rock and alternative music and then had a few years in the late 90s and early 2000s where punk was my music of choice when I couldn't actually download music that wasn't on the radio. The local rock station did play a couple of Pearl Jam songs on the radio, but I never liked the song Jeremy, and Daughter and Better Man wasn't hard enough for my taste at the time. So I looked the other way. Until the moment that changed everything. Getting a burnt CD would do the evolution on it, in about 1999. It was weird, it was angry, it was anthemic, and it hit me hard. After that moment, I was hooked, and I ate up everything Pearl Jam spewed out. 
I couldn't believe they came to Saskatoon in 2005. We don't usually get many big names in Saskatchewan. Bands skip over us. Credit Union Center holds about 12,000, and it wasn't a sold-out show at all, which is that's crazy, but hey, that's the territory. But it was a mind-blowing experience, and the set list was great. Fast forward to Saskatoon 2011, my mind is blown that they chose to come back. It was pretty close to a sold-out show from what I remember. I got two tickets, my husband's favorite song of all time is Better Man, and he was stoked to go, but he is a miner in a flying mine, and his days off didn't coincide with the concert. So I took my sister, and she had no idea what Pearl Jam even sang, but she came out of it having a great time. Mudhoney was the opener. At the time, I only knew a couple of their songs, and I remember it being so loud that I literally had my hands covering my ears for most of their performance. It was hard to enjoy. That's coming from a punk background, too, but totally understand. Pearl Jam opened with Interstellar Overdrive and the Corduroy. That was a holy shit moment. They're here. I'm here. How did this happen? I can't believe it. The next three songs aren't my favorite songs, but it was cool to hear God's Dice. I was on such a high from Corduroy that I wouldn't have cared what they played from here on out. In My Tree was freaking amazing. Untitled and MFC were great. Mike killed it on Red Mosquito and nothing as it seems. Given a fly, do the evolution, party time. In the Moonlight, I knew the song right away, but I didn't know many of the lyrics. I knew it was rare, but I didn't know how rare it was until after the show. Black was great to hear because they didn't play it in 2005. That's something that Ed will mention during the show. The crowd went crazy for Spin a Black Circle. The crowd loved Just Breathe, and the radio stations were playing it in heavy rotation at the time. Better Man was a big crowd moment, and why go? The crowd loved this one, too. The first and second attempts at running back to Saskatoon, the Guess Who are a Canadian classic rock band a staple of Canadian rock stations, a communications rule, and this is something I didn't know, but I kind of assumed, a communications rule in Canada is that a radio station has to play a certain percentage of Canadian artists. So there was a time where I was paying attention to like much music in the late 90s, and I would go and I would check out like what they were playing and what was on like their, their top list, and um, there was like five tragically hip songs at the top. Yeah, is, this, is this you or Danielle speaking? That's me speaking. Okay. That's me, yeah. No, I, it was mostly tragically hip and our lady piece at the time. So yeah, yeah. just think of that. It was a unique moment as it's something that we can say only happened in Saskatoon. However, that takes the place of another Pearl Jam song that would have been great to hear. After the show, I immediately bought tickets to Edmonton and drove to the Seven Hours a few days later and saw them there. Another great show with a wash opener. Edmonton was my last show to date. They have not been this way since and would be a miracle if they came again. I have been busy with life being a stay-at-home parent to two kids for the last seven years. This year, my husband and I are finally getting on a plane and hope to be seeing them in Quebec and Ottawa. Until then, I'll be listening to bootlegs and watching concerts. Thank you so much. Hey, great story. And, you know, we don't get a lot of Canadian shows requested here. It's usually a lot of East Coast stuff, some Midwest stuff, if you believe it or not. Of course, those are the popular places, but it's always intriguing when we do get something from someone who is in a local area that we don't pay attention to a whole lot. 
Yeah, I mean, living in a town of, of 350 people, you've got to feel like you're on an island there. So yeah, that's that's great, Daniel's putting in a lot of work there. I love it. I wonder if she's the, considered the town Pearl Jam fan. Right, right. I mean, she would Most have to local be, right? expert. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, she mentioned the show is going to start with a little interstellar overdrive intro and go into Corduroy. coming off Ed's guitar and corduroy, they're just ringing out and have a little bit more echo than usual. It was a good version of both and got you going for this one. And Interstellar Overdrive like had some flair to it. It allowed for it to get that hot start. I also heard a little bit of echo on Ed's vocals in corduroy too, which is interesting. I don't think you really get to hear that that much. Yeah, Interstellar Overdrive is so bouncy and like Pearl Jam doesn't have a lot of songs that bounce like that like there's a few you've got like some some parts of animal and stuff like that you could say have that bounce to it but it's not something that they really do a lot like the sound of of interstellar overdrive is not something that you can be like oh that sounds like this pearl jam song so it is kind of a unique opener when they open with it they've done it a, a handful of times corduroy is always great and like especially to open up like you know, everyone in the crowd knows that it's a fantastic song to open with. And this is a great version, I thought, especially the ending, when it gets to, like, kind of the jam outro part. I thought they were really in a good mood, and you could tell, like, they are excited to be there. They knew it was going to be a good night. It was going to be a long night. So, yeah, just just felt like the band was really pumped up and really good version of Corduroy. Interstellar Overdrive has been played and introed 66 times to date. And yeah, it, it got you going, and Mike Solo felt pretty good, and he's working especially well in tandem with Matt there. So, hey, nothing new, nothing different, but it's rolling the way that you like Pearl Jam to roll. The next three are going to be interesting because these are three that really don't come up in setlist all too much. Got some a little bit, but I don't think these three have ever been played in the same show together again, and especially in the top three after after the opener you know what i mean all night into god's dice is something i i I, that's got to be the only one right yeah it's got to be and like there's going to be some songs played here where you're like that's the pearl jam 20 hangover 
Yeah. Where they, they played it at PJ 20 and they liked it and it kind of got a little bump from being played there. And All Night is one of those like, and they had just come off of, I think, the Jimmy Fallon performance of it too. Right. Mm-hmm. So All Night was having kind of a moment in 2011. So gets kind of the featured spot here at number two. It was fine, you know, and again, you're getting two kind of songs you don't hear all the time. You hit them with Corroy, and then they're going to break out some deep cuts here. And, you know, these people getting a little treat here. But, yeah, God's Dice is always good. It has a little bit of an awkward start to God's Dice, but they get through it. Yeah, no, there's no really that drum roll intro that you get from that. Ed kind of stepped on Matt a little bit, but that's all right because they kind of finished off the song pretty tight, and Matt's driving the energy the whole way through. I thought All Night at least had a couple interesting moments, like towards the end, Ed's shrieking sort of picks up and Jeff is doing the backup vocals which sounded really good a lot of intensity on that I don't really think you get that from All Night too often and for most of you that kind of understand my connection with that song it's like don't really love talking about it because I've had it a lot that's my that's my rare that isn't really a rare anymore so you know I don't really ever think about it too much think that deeply into it too much but i i I felt like this had a little bit of drive into it and even you know how ed kind of does this thing in the song sometimes that oh 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 like stone's playing that during that and i don't know how often that that happens but it seemed like it was a little kind of playing around moment which sounded really good god's dice was good and they've only played it eight times since that date so if you're going to get it, then you know how rare it is nowadays. And, and Gotham was fine. Again, it's kind of has that backspacer hangover to it. But Mike really started to rev up at the end and kind of pick up steam, which, which sounded pretty good. Ed here says, it's only the beginning. And he starts singing the national anthem. Our national anthem, not, not O Canada. Yeah, yeah you got to go O Canada here. Well... Here is where he kind of turned it around. There were some boos, a couple of cheers, and he says at the end, and the home of the Blades. The Blades are Saskatoon's junior league team, the uh, WHL over there. So at least he kind of added a little hometown flavor to that. So So they, they do their research. Well, yeah, of course. Hey, you're not walking into their arena and not knowing who the hockey team is. If you do, then you're you're out of there. They're they're kicking you right out. We get a couple of rare ones here in my tree into dissident. In my tree had a little nice uh, drum intro to it. It's not like a Jack Irons type, but it's very good. What I was disappointed with in this, and it's because it was so good. That mic stuff that happens, you know, mid-song and kind of escalates to the end. I didn't think that mic was mixed very good in the show. I was just listening to it. I just wanted mic to be louder. And, yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of mic moments that come in the next little bit that I wish just stood out much more. But it felt like it was a pretty even mix. The drums were pretty high. Yeah, I wish that mic was a little louder on these kind of songs. Well, I didn't miss it here because you get to hear Jeff's solo. You do at the end. All yeah. the better, and it's a really good one. That really melodic, fluid solo that he takes during the ending part there was fantastic. Once again, the last couple of times we've talked about it have been really good versions. So that was great. I love this in my tree, and then getting into Dissent too. I mean, you got Corduroy at the beginning, but you're not really getting a big crowd moment here. 
people know Dissident, like obviously it's from Versus, so people know it, but there are not a lot of like sing-alongs early on here after Corduroy. It's kind of unusual. It's tough for Dissident to be a sing-along because yeah. Ed can't even sing it the way that everybody kind of knows for him to sing it. And it does feel a little clunky at first. It finds a groove somewhere and tightens up, but... Once again, Mike is like that loud atmospheric solo that fills the room in that one. Just wanted it to kind of fill my headphones a little bit more. That was all that I was asked. I, I won't even mention it again unless I really have to. But yeah, was missing a loud presence from Mike. But you could tell that filling up the arena that people were probably hearing Mike pretty prominently. After this is going to be the, hey, look, the combo that we got earlier, Interstellar Overdrive and a Corduroy, that's the common that you kind of live for with Corduroy, and obviously, Untitled in the MFC is the combo that you live in with that. And he changes a couple words in Untitled. resurgence this year i think they've played it three times in 2022 and it's nice to kind of see it back it's probably considered more of a rare song nowadays but it's good that the band is kind of like taking notice within look you got to think about where they were in europe especially they're always going to play it in italy so that made sense to do it there but this version i thought had more of a punk vibe a little bit atmospheric but ramping up the pace at the end and and really starts to generate good steam after that last chorus and very intense gnawing on the second go around really like that <laughs> that's that's what you get but you're gonna yeah. mention stone solo i know you it's are always very good always very good one on the yield songs untitled is like low-key one of my white whale songs that i would love to hear someday i'm glad they're bringing it back on this current tour i hope i could see it because like when i saw them in 98 they weren't doing untitled yet did you ever see it that show yes they did i believe so i haven't gotten untitled yet so that's one thing i'm definitely looking forward to that i'll be super stoked if they play it but yeah untitled's always good always love hearing it in the set and yeah mfc's great but again we still haven't got to that sing-along yet it, it's coming that we're gonna get to them but, but we're not there yet Nope, we're going to pause and do another no-code followed by another binaural. got to think of that at this point. They hadn't played a 10 song yet. They had played two no-code, one versus one Vitalogy, 
two binaural, one from the new record, one yield, and lost dog. Yeah, yeah, and a dock. So, as we said, ten is going to have the biggest representation in here. Of course, the songs that you all expect it to have, which is the very least of what you usually get from ten, but just really interesting how early on they're not going to that route at all they're kind of going to some of the deeper cuts in order to bring this crowd in and as mentioned in danielle's story that it's a smaller crowd and they don't go there that often so do you think that the strategy what they're doing here is better than hitting them with all the hits or what do you think is the best kind of situation for these kind of places i think when you've got you know, and you've got 30 songs here, so it gives them a chance to mix it up. I think, you know, when Ed's making this set list, he's thinking like, yeah, let's mix it up tonight. Let's throw everything at the wall early on, and then we'll get to the big sing-alongs later. More mic moments here. Red Mosquito, Nothing As It Seems, back-to-back. And you're not getting even flow in the main set, so this is usually the spot, and Mike is kind of getting treated to two moments here. And, yeah, just... You know, the guitar is its own voice. Red Mosquito, it's sort of that, like a mosquito type of sound that he brings into it. and gets really bluesy, kind of nice little progression here, paced really nicely. And a little, kind of sounded like a little slide guitar. He was using that kind of slide pick a little bit. So that, that sounded really good. And then, um, yeah, nothing as it seems. Ed tees up as being about the government. And it feels weird. Is that U.S. government? So more it's U.S. Canada to... U.S. references in Canada, right? Does yeah. that make any sense? Well, he's not talking about the the prime minister. So no, no, no. Of yeah. course not. But I mean, both these versions. Mike Mike jumps on both these versions. You know, whenever he gets the platform to do it, sounds really good. Great builds and nothing as it seems gains a little speed and momentum near the end. Both sounded very good here. Yes, and I I really like Red Mosquito. I think there's, like you mentioned, this set was crying out for a big McCready moment. And there's even a moment during the the solo when when Cameron, he does like a little roll that he doesn't normally do. Like he threw in a little something extra on Red Mosquito. And that kind of made me go like, oh, cool. Like they're feeling it tonight because they're they're throwing these little flourishes and these extra little touches. And there's a, it's a really good Cameron performance on Red Mosquito as well. And yeah, a good duo that you wouldn't normally like kind of associate these two songs together, but you know, put together in the in the middle of the set, they kind of hold their own and like didn't miss even flow. Nothing as it seems. Mike's great as always on that. So big twosome there. I really liked it. Kind of did the job that that even flow does. And we're gonna get a yield twosome here, and it's kind of gonna take you back to okay. These are the more recognizable songs. This is where everybody in that crowd, all twelve thousand of them, or how many there were in that crowd that night, they're gonna know "Give It a Fly." They're gonna know "Do the Evolution." So it brings back that energy, so to speak. And "Give It a Fly," great momentum builds, very well done. And I really think that the highlight, and maybe the highlight of the first half of the main set, or even the middle is do the evolution and as this progresses ed starts to get more and more intense with each verse more and more intense each line heading into the hallelujah choir ed saying this feels like church singing the choir and then he kind of gains some ferocity after that he gains some anger towards this and it really made for kind of like an old school like a 1998 sort of version of, of this song i just thought the vocals were excellent on it Baby. 
sometimes, you know, this song can kind of get lost in the sea of other versions of this where you're like, okay, well, you know, it, it definitely hit the bar and that's good when it hits the bar because it's still an excellent song, but it's been played 537 times. You're not going to compare all 537. This one felt like it did exceed what you normally would get from Do the Evolution. Yeah, great. And again, you're on a little little bit of a yield run. You know, if you just got came off MFC before the little twosome that we just talked about. And I think these two pair together, give them to fly and do the evolution. It's like they each kind of give the other one a bump. They're better for being together, I think, because they pair well together, obviously, from the same record. And yeah, do the evolutions just like I never think of it when I think of like their best songs, but it is one of their best songs. And like, you know, you wouldn't put it up in that 500. It wouldn't think to put it up in that 500 play group. You know, the, you're, you're talking about your blacks and better mans and things like that, but it's right there. I uh, just checked this up on livefootsteps.org, our favorite website to check up everything on Pearl Jam data and given a fly into do the evolution as a combo in this order played how many times john oh 41 15 okay not as much well if you check it the other way how many do you think we have 17 27 so so 41 together is almost right on yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So cool. it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, not a lot in 1998, though. Kind of yeah. spreading out the yeah. two hits of the record. And we have gotten it back to back in three of the shows that have been played this year, sure. believe it or not. Yeah. So always a good twosome to have, always a good duo. And here, you know, you're, you're packaging them together for a reason. So great. Okay, Ed prefaces this next one. We don't play it very often, and it's going to be a song that we don't talk about very often. It's been only been played four times. This is the third time we're covering it, so the days of talking about In the Moonlight on this podcast are dwindling. feel like we talk about the same sort of things within the moonlight whenever it comes up like it being of course a pretty rare song but not the rare song that everyone's like whoa they did this like it's it's here in the middle of the set it kind of gets lost a little bit in, in between do the evolution in black you know what i mean like those are the big crowd moments and if it was another big lost dog like you know and alone or you know sad or something else from that record that like just really kind of gets you juiced then i think it kind of builds off momentum but it's it's a weird song to 
place in a set because you're really not sure what to do with it because the crowd really doesn't know how to react to it. They don't know it as well. It's another one that's, it's one of those kind of moody, binaural era songs. So it needs to be around those moodier songs that Black is a good one to pair with. It's coming up next. But this is definitely like another PJ20 hangover where they they had, you know, Josh Homme come out and play it and they liked it. A couple of weeks later here, you're like, oh, you know, we practiced it. We know we can run through it. Like, yeah, why not? I'm actually not surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it pop up later this year at one of the shows because it doesn't feel like it's very taxing on his voice. It's kind of in that kind of moodier binaural register that he can he can pull off a little bit. It's not a screamer. We saw that on this tour where they were picking one rare one per night, one super rare one to pull out. Yeah, I think I don't I don't think we've seen the last of it in the moonlight. Now I always kind of pair in the moonlight and education together because they were played at that PJ twenty show. Sure. And education would be cool to bring back. I don't think they like, they played that since like maybe the 2016 tour but in the moonlight two times in 2011 and two times in 2016 so whenever they do play it it's kind of like okay let's get what we can get out of this now that we're kind of familiar with it then those lightning bolt years in 2013 2014 they say they got too much else that they want to cover they're bringing yep. back all these other rarities and and then in 2016 where it's kind of like that year becomes the and all the rest sort of rare songs and they bring it back it feels like it kind of comes in these little little bunches and maybe I won't say that it's not going to show up in 2022. They have 12 chances to kind of bring it up. But yeah, it's not a bad song at all. I like the song and I wish that there was sort of a moment for it, you know, that the crowd can kind of attach itself to and sing along with. And it just really doesn't have that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And this one, as rare as it is, maybe doesn't hit the fans quite as hard. It's kind of hard when you're showcasing all these songs in the Lost Dog era. There's, what, how many, like, at least 10 to 12 that really didn't make the public eye at all. So you kind of have to intake all these extra binaural tracks at once. And, yeah, it might have just kind of fell to that little bottom slot. Not because it's a bad song, but because there was other stuff that really was able to perk people's ears. And in between songs says, it's hard to believe that it's been six years and almost 12 days ago. I think the first show was, and I remember this date very, very well because it was September 7th that they played this show. The next day is happens to be my birthday, which in 2005, it was the Winnipeg show. We got to do that at some point. We got to do a birthday show. I believe we're doing a birthday show for you this year. It wasn't on your birthday, but right. it's still your birthday present, so to speak. But six years and 12 days, it's kind of funny that both of the, and, and it's so weird to make that comparison between the two tour years, too, because they happen at the same exact time, you know? I was looking at the list and we didn't play this one last time. So we made sure that we played it tonight and that is going to be black and that's going to be followed by spin the black circle. So it's a black duo here. It's voice is really good in black, you know, and I think in the way that sometimes in versions of songs, 
and is pretty much on the level of what you know he can do and maybe he's not pushing it you know sometimes it can happen in some popular songs sometimes it can happen in the deeper stuff but this is a good example of when you can actually hear Ed dig for it maybe his voice isn't strong per se but you could feel that he's digging deep inside to gain that momentum and that power especially when he gets to the ending part Black is one that he definitely wants to dig a little harder at because it does have that emotion, it does have that emphasis on it, and you know what Mike is going to do right after that, recognizing that big moment that Ed just put together and complimenting it, Black would be the one where if you got to pick one in this main set to stand out like that, Black is the one to run home with, right? Oh, absolutely. It's a standout performance. And, you know, everything you said about Ed is is true here. It's a really passionate performance of Black. And I love when the crowd is great on this, too. You know, we haven't really talked about the crowd a lot, but they really take it here. And when it gets to the why, you know, the why can't it be, he kind of lets the crowd take it and they go with that, which is always really cool. Another incredible, just soulful McCready solo, one one of the best that we've heard. Look, we've done a lot of like combo numbers today, and this combo in this order of black in the spin the black circle been played eight different times and then five times in the opposite order of spin the black circle going into black. You and I when, have both when was, seen, the, when was the first time that they did it? Because I feel like that's a more recent trend. The first time that they did it? Yeah. 95. The really? Once in 95. Okay twice in 2000, once in 03, and then 2009 to 2011. Okay. <laughs> Spin the Black Circle could have easily been the one where they're just like, okay, let's go full go with this. Let's tear it apart. You know, we're close to the end of the main set. Let's let it all out there. I thought the pacing was pretty even on this. It didn't really pick up as much as some other versions do, if you know what I mean. It felt like it was kind of steady and ed's vocals are good throughout it's consistent more than anything it's not like when you get to that middle part where it just escalates i don't i didn't think that this version sort of escalated to that part that you love and spin the black circle that gets you absolutely fired up i'm not saying that this was a a worse or not as interesting version as ones that do that but it's just interesting to see how they kind of kept this at more of a, a normal sort of pace that might have been a hangover from black it's a little awkward to like do this ballad kind of powerful slow build song and then immediately go into a breakneck like super fast one so i get why maybe they weren't quite feeling the breakneck pace of spin the black circle but yeah nothing wrong with it thought it was thought it was good 
Okay, we're going to get to in a fun moment here, and then there's going to be three songs at the end of the main set. Ed is pointing out in the crowd, who is this young guy right here? How old are you? Nine, ten. Hey. What's your name? What's his name? This is for Dave, that's ten. Your dad looks pretty cool, but this is, uh, and, and, and he is pretty cool because it looks like he brought you here. And I understand if you just came to see Mud Honey, because I understand. But, uh, this is, uh, this is for when you, uh, decide to take off on your own. This is called Setting Forth. being 10 years old and like that you're getting called out on stage at the show that's super cool and then you know he gets a little shout out during during not for you as well stuff with Dave was very very cool and even after that like there's a little jam that goes into that bridge kind of the pre-verse before the last chorus and it takes him another measure or two before getting into it and like that feels like a moment that and I know that they have extended that a little bit at times but that could be something that is noticed as one of those moments that extends and I think that people don't recognize that it does happen enough but when it does like that's you're extending the song you're kind of making it a point to say that this is a highlight to give it that room and then at the end you're getting back to another stone solo here and that's you're building to that and i feel like with the jam everything that they're doing going up to that solo is continuing to build to that big ending and having that big moment at the end. Everything works really well. All that secret It comes from youth That I
girl tag at the end, and then a very seamless transition into a live to close the main set. Very, very good. I think that Not For You is coming back for me. You know, it's those kind of Vitalogy songs that are structured like that and are written like that to, you know, I think we talk about that with Corduroy, we talk about that with Immortality, we talk about that with Better Man, obviously. So a lot of those songs on that record were made, I think, and constructed with that in mind to give them that that build and that room at the end. And like, we talk about it every time we do a 94, 95 show. Like, oh, the ending of these songs are amazing. Like, look at, listen to Jack, just go off on these. And, you know, that that continued with Matt to a certain extent. Yeah, Not For You is very good. And it doesn't show up as the penultimate song of a main set a whole lot. So this feels yeah. like, okay, you know, we're not playing a lot of big hits in this main set at all. You got Black, you got Do the Evolution and, and Give It a Fly, and of course, opening with Corduroy. But not for you into a live. That's interesting right there, because that's sort of saying, like, you need a big moment to get you pumped up for a live and usually something like if it's in the main set which of course is is completely rare nowadays it's more like lucan or better man that has a big epic moment that you can kind of take that little pause and then go into a live and have two back to back like that but yeah not for you is not usually in this spot and i think that it is a very good spot for it it's usually more towards the middle of the set if it's if it's showing up Alive has a little bit of an issue with Stone's guitar early on, but performance has a couple clunky moments. It gets smoothed over, and of course the crowd's going to be chanting along at the very end. That gets good, but look, we're getting sort of a change of pace with Alive being at the end of the main set, and then a song that you expect to be at the end of the main set is going to be part of your bread and butter in the set. So that's an interesting way and a different way to do it. Yeah, it's kind of weird, you know, to get alive this early and especially when a long set like this like we talked about where you're you're used to it getting that that featured spot near the end but yeah mix it up this kind of begins the run of of the big crowd hit songs that we hadn't really gotten up to this point so uh but buckle in because here we go yep okay that leads us into the encore break we're going to pause for station identification and talk about a couple things that we are promoting here we're going to start off with the patreon because the patreon is usually the first thing that we get to talking about let's talk about the new patrons we have five of them to thank this week first one that we're going to thank is diane taylor joining the bonus leg thank you diane also into the bonus leg is scott vasilotti Thank you very much, Scott. Paula Costello. Thank you, Paula. Joining as a new Horizon Leg patron is Patrick Wetzels. And I got to talk to Patrick a little bit through Twitter. So he was really excited because he was like, how do I get to be on the podcast? And I said, well, look, it's through Patreon. And that's sort of the way we do things. And he was like, yep, I'll, I'll do it. And I fully didn't expect him to donate to the Horizon Leg tier. But here we are. He'll get an episode at some point in the future, too. And then the last person I want to thank, because it's going to segue into an event that we're doing when we hit St. Louis, is Tanya Kang. And if you don't know who Tanya is, she is the person behind the Pearl Jam fan portraits. So if you've done a fan portrait before, or you've seen her do the photography before shows, during shows... What happens is that people will write down one of their favorite Pearl Jam lyrics. They'll talk about it for a little bit. 
what does it mean to you? Why did you choose this one? And then she'll take a, your photo of it with the lyrics in hand. What she's doing with all these photos is she's creating a book. And the book is going to have a Kickstarter starting up on August 15th. And like I mentioned with the St. Louis show, what we're going to be doing there is we're going to be holding a bit of an event. And there's a lot of stuff going on in this event. So I'm going to kind of break it down one by one here. But Tanya's part is going to be we're going to interview her. Anthony from Touring Fan and, and I are going to interview her. We're going to do some interviews with some people that are planning to donate to her Kickstarter because that's part of the package, which you can do that too. We'll give you that information in just a second, but that's going to be on August 15th. She's going to have a little gallery so we can see some of the pictures that she chose that are going to be in the book, and she'll talk about some of the stories as well. Very excited for that. I think she does great work, and she's turned into a very good friend of mine, and glad that she's hopped aboard on Patreon. Let's talk a little bit about that event. The event is called Hope and Brews in the Lou. It is at a place called the Midwestern. That is about a three- or four-minute walk to the Scott Trade Center in, in St. Louis before that show. And there's going to be a lot of stuff happening. We're going to be involved somehow. And like I said, like interviewing Tanya and interviewing some of the people that are going to be getting their picture taken with lyrics that day. And also happening at that show is Anthony was able to acquire a cover band called River Mirror. And they're going to play front to back the whole entire MTB Unplugged. Front to back. The with way the that dissident right? I'm, I've requested this. <laughs> I've absolutely requested this. Yes, they have to do it. And I bet you that they don't know about it. And I bet you that if I tell them about it, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do that. That's happening. And I want to dig into more of what Tanny's doing as well, because it's the book reveal, a gallery, and the photo session, as I said. But the photo session is going to be kind of connected with the Kickstarter. So, like I mentioned, her Kickstarter is coming out in about two weeks on the 15th of August. And what is going to happen with that is that it's for a pack. So, you can you could donate to the Kickstarter without donating to this package. You could donate to the Kickstarter and get a copy of the book and have the copy of the book sent to you when it's ready to come out. If you want to donate to this package, if you're going to be in St. Louis, you're going to be at this event, then the other things that you'll get in this, you will get the copy of the book. You will get to be in the book. That's a last minute decision. You'll get to be in the book for donating to this tier on the Kickstarter. And then you'll pick your lyric, come up on stage and we'll do an interview with you and kind of talk because the whole point of the event is to raise money for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. September is Mental Health Awareness Month. So that's what we're raising money for and kind of talk about why you picked your quote. And I think a lot of things that deal with mental health situations also deal with Pearl Jam. I know myself and I'm sure you, John, have took to a lot of different lyrics that sort of spoke to issues and problems and, and things that, you know, maybe you don't get out of therapy maybe you don't get out of other places that can kind of guide you along the way so we're going to try and and tell some really good stories with that and hopefully you guys are there and we'll keep mentioning this in the weeks to come we'll keep bringing it up but when that is ready to go i will make sure that on the social media accounts everybody gets that link it'll be two mondays from now so be on the lookout for that 
There is also another thing that we are raising a little bit of money for. Now, everybody knows that MSG is coming up, and everybody knows the date of this. It's a very important and powerful date. It's important to basically the whole entire world, of course, because everybody knows what that date is. But it's also important to people that were there on that date, you know, three years before that happened. Everybody knows the moment that happened that night was that after a long campaign, the band finally caved in and played Breath for the first time since 1994. It really felt like that moment was the start of this kind of fan service of, okay, we'll we'll take a couple of requests, we'll pay attention to the rare songs that are out there and bring them back every now and again. And it felt like that moment was definitely the door opening for that. And I think that they absolutely knew what that date meant when they took it. So there's no doubt in my mind that they're going to play Breath that night. However, I kind of feel like it would be a fun idea and a nice idea to recreate the moment. It's more about the moment rather than begging for the song. So what's happening is I'm going to make an attempt to print out about 2,500 to 5,000 sheets of paper that say breath on them. And of course, everybody knows the cost of printing and it's something that I, I, I cannot afford myself or, or th- through within podcast funds. We'll be putting as much as I can into this, but what we're doing is a little bit of a fundraiser on this and a, a raffle as well. So it'll be $5 per entry and you'll get entered in for every $5 increment that you donate. You'll get entered in to a little raffle that we're going to be giving away some posters. We're going to be giving away some merch, just a, a nice little throw in for just the kind of thing that we're planning here that to sort of revisit the history a little bit. So if you are interested in doing that, then you can either join Patreon or if you are already a patron and you want to increase the donation just for the month, you can feel free to do it that way. Or we have Venmo at live on four legs and feel free to send over that way. If you want to be a part of the raffle and help out with what we're doing. And really, if we are able to get the GA all to hold them up and, and various people in the crowd. And I think that, you know, it's New York. A lot of people are going to know the history. A lot of people are going to understand that. So if we see everybody with the signs, if they see them, they're going to feel good about that. And I think it's going to be, bring them back to a warm place. So that's all we're trying to do. Nobody's begging them to play breath. We, we think it's probably a guarantee that they will. So just an idea to throw out there. If you are interested in that, We uh, welcome all donations from all places. Real quick, how to donate to Patreon, patreon.com slash live on four legs, or go to live on four legs.com and click the become a patron button. The three tiers, any of them are obviously acceptable. We put them all out there so you can join and you'll be getting more exclusive episodes pretty soon. Took a little bit of a break in between the tour dates. The end of June and July, we've been running pretty hard on on these reaction episodes. So we're going to get to some other stuff soon within the late night series and within the evolution series as well. So keep those things in mind and that'll all be extra content for Patreon. Our goal, the hope before 200 episodes, I believe this is episode number 193, I believe. Yeah. The the hope is that we can get to 200 before the 200th episode. And when we do, 
maybe we'll do something big for for all you guys. Maybe we'll do a nice little giveaway for the patrons or something like that. So hopefully it gets to that point. And it's up to you to help us out. If you want to help us out, help us grow. We are more than excited to have you on board. Okay, let's get back into the show. Back to The Rock. Ed comes out for the encore and says, I see people from Brazil, lots of different flags out here. That's interesting. All different people, especially Brazil, going down. And maybe it wasn't somebody actually traveling from Brazil, but they played Rio and they played a couple places, I think Sao Paulo in, in 2011. So it's interesting that if somebody was really traveling from down there, that they, they travel. I, they do travel, yeah. That they, we saw but, Chilean flags in Europe and sure, all kinds of stuff. But yeah. I'm just saying, Saskatoon. That's that's oh, yeah. that's a distance. That's a distance sure. right there. So I give anybody credit that uh, decided to do that. They're not going to leave anytime soon, but this one is where we all start singing together. I'm glad he said that. We mentioned it a couple times. There really weren't a lot of moments in that main set where they were able to have the connection with the crowd. And right off the bat, I think Small Town is a perfect one to bring that up and do that, even though Ed starts with, I swear I recognize your breath, and then immediately says, you guys are singing much better than me. And it felt like this version had some heart, you know, especially the last couple of weeks that we've done this, we've mentioned the pandering sort of versions that come a little bit later after this that are more of the lightning bolt era. And then we talk about the anthemic and this was somewhere in between that had a nice feel to it that felt like they were able to connect with the crowd without sort of egging them on a little bit. And the crowd was on top of it before Ed even asked them to get on top of it. They did the the hello, they did the hearts and thoughts at the the end. This was a good moment between Ed and the crowd that that finally felt like they were able to get connected for the first time, maybe a couple of other times this night, but at least being able to go back and forth like this, definitely the first time. Yeah, almost more than any show I can remember us ever doing. There's definitely a like a part one and a part two to this show like everything up until alive was one show everything alive and after is going to be a different show and they definitely came out for this encore being very crowd friendly and you're going to get a lot of sing-alongs like i mentioned it's like the a tale of two shows you know so everything up until this point was like you know you're getting your deep cuts you know your no code and binaural songs but from here on in it's it's hits and so we're going to be very crowd friendly from here out yeah for sure and after small town ed's gonna say hello to two people in the audience there's a lot of special people here not only are we fortunate to have this job for 20 years and fortunate to know members of mud honey for 23 years not just fortunate to have each other as friends, but each of us has a beautiful, tough-as-nails woman behind us. Stone's girlfriend, uh, wife, I, I'm not sure if they were married at the time, but she was there that night. Mike's wife was there that night as well, and it was her birthday that night. So this one, Just Breathe, being dedicated to all the good couples that's going to be tagged on with Unthought Known. So a little bit of backspacer, only one backspacer song in the main set, and now we got two back-to-back that are in Encore 1. Guess what Just Breathe has, John? Yeah, a little bit of bass there. A little bit of bass there, yeah. You know, this actually had me scared for a second. I didn't think it was coming. It felt a little bit lighter. Yep. It felt yep. like it was just kind of going to be Ed and Boom and a little bit of, you know, mic on. That smaller guitar thing that, that he was doing for a while. But when it, when Jeff came through, I'm like, okay. Yeah, a nice they, surprise. They're yep. on point. You know, sometimes when you hear Boom's 
part on this, you kind of th- can think that if you essentially are not thinking about boom, you're kind of thinking, this sounds like it could be some kind of string orchestra behind him. And he does a really good job of bringing that sound to the song. And I don't think that gets brought up enough. You know, it's definitely the more keyboard side of what he does, you know, rather than the kind of piano aspect of it that he sometimes will bring to certain songs. And and yeah, like it adds definitely an extra layer of like texture on the song. It gives it a little bit more like emotional weight and that kind of heft that the that it adds to the song. So that's the reason you put strings in, right? To give it that emotional like yeah. give it some weight and, you know, give people a chance to like let let it have the swell and and make it the big moment. So yeah, give, give some credit to Boom there. That's cool. Absolutely. Unthought known we've been running on this for a couple weeks in a row now, having done for all that time doing nothing but two thousand three and earlier versions of, of shows and now we got three a little bit later versions that were that we've done in a row here and Un- unthought known has been in all three of them and this is really the peak of unthought known where this was becoming backspacer song and turning into a pearl jam classic to be played in the next couple of years almost every other night if not every and you know i, I think that canada might have taken this one away and said this is a side of pearl jam that they, they hadn't seen before look Again, Saskatoon, not a lot of Canadian dates happened in 2009, 2010, if any in 2010 at all. So, you know, this is the only time that this city or town is going to get the the Backspacer song feel. And it felt like they wanted to give them the best from this record and Unthought Known was going to be something they knew they were going to keep around. Has great builds to it. You know, the big beginning had a nice little sort of surge and it's always great to have. Yeah, it's great. And like it is the most played song off of Backspacer at this point. It's one of only two that, that got played on this current tour. So yeah, they're definitely still feeling it. And it's like like you said, it's been played, you know, you're almost right on. It's been played at a little over fifty percent of shows since since Backspacer came out. So yeah, pretty much every other night. We talked about heavy hitters, we talked about hits. And we also kind of mentioned in the main set that they were sort of making up for even flow not being there. Even flow's here now. This version sounded a little bit more on the distorted side, more so than usual. Stone's progression of the rhythm during the solo stands out in this. Just one of those dirty, dirty riffs. I didn't think there was anything overly earth-shattering from what Mike was doing. He chose the blues route on this, and we do get a nice little uh, solo from that in this as well. And then Ed at the end, giving it to the crowd. So, yeah, that's your kind of even flow here. A little bit quicker than usual versions. Yeah, I mean, and again, the show was screaming for these big moments. And here they they come, back to back to back to back. Can't say much more than that. And you're not going to the bathroom during the encore at all. So staying in and enjoying it, especially if you're in Saskatoon. They're not coming back here, if at all, for a while. So, yeah, you want even flow. And then you want Better Man to follow that up. And it's, again, including the crowd more. And I think that that's, that's a great sign. And you said the tale of two shows. It's absolutely that. We've seen in almost all of these that they've played in this encore that they're trying to get the crowd invested. They're trying to get them involved. Let's get to the tag territory, right? Like, we don't sure. usually talk about the Ramones tag. I want to yep. be your boyfriend happening here. Great. Hey, little girl. I want to be your boyfriend 
Anytime you get a Ramones tag, it's going to kind of perk my ears up. And, you know, I want to be your boyfriend is from the first Ramones record. Kind of had, again, we talked about, you know, some songs were kind of having a moment in 2011, you know, All Night and In the Moonlight, some of the stuff that was played at PJ20. But Want to Be Your Boyfriend, too, you know, tagged four times this year. They had just done it a few days before in Hamilton, and it wouldn't really come back until, until 2018. He does it and then kind of improvs off of it, talking about, like, oh, I want to marry you and all this stuff. You're getting the double tag on Better Man, which means like, they're in a good mood now. They're feeling it. We're a couple of wine bottles deep at this point, so letting loose. Yep. Just building back on the tags and back into, you know, big roller coaster that happens at the end. It's always a show-stopping moment, and it's exactly what you expect from this and can take away from that crowd and say, whoa. That's how we're going to end Encore 1. I'm pumped and excited for the end of this show. That's exactly what you expect, and, and you got it. So already the Encore is starting to feel a lot different, and now we're going to get totally different when this starts. So Ed introduces everybody, and it's pretty normal. And, you know, he, he talks about the whole band, right? He can't miss. He's been playing with these guys for 30 years now. Back then, 20 years. He's never going to miss anybody, right? We, we, uh, it took a second. We tried to figure this out. Uh, you know, usually there, there are... Oh, you mean Jeff Heyman, of course. Yeah, poor Jeff. I think a lot of people might go back to the Baltimore show with Jeff. I think he did the same thing where he just forgot to mention Jeff or whatever. And then Jeff sort of stormed off the stage at the end. They played like mm. rocking in the free world at the end. And he just put his bass down and, and didn't even like wave bye to the crowd. He just stormed off. So we don't know if he was pissed about that or not. It seems like it turns into something else going on there maybe maybe yeah so it was probably a culmination of a couple things but it's not unusual to play a song by the who but it is quite unusual to play a song by the guess who and as we mentioned very early on in this show they're going to run back to running back to saskatoon being played in 2005 as mentioned they only played about two verses of it then because the band kind of fell apart and Ed during the chorus was just kind of like okay I can't remember all these towns and it was there and it was a nice little moment for the crowd but I think here the anticipation especially from Ed might have been okay let's get this right I've been hanging around gas stations I've been learning about
that's not terrible. Well, he gets the verses down. He has the verses down. He gets through most of it, but he's had six years to practice. You would think he would have come back with a stronger performance, but it's wordy. I'm sure they just worked on it that day, so I give him a break on this. It's not awful. So where does it fall on the Satan's Bed State College level? Well, better than that. Well, of course it's better than that. I I kind of think that's probably as close to rock bottom as you can get, right? Yeah, there's been, like, I think of, like, the... They've had to abandon evacuation before mankind, some of those. But, yeah, this this is not on that level, especially because it's a cover. Like, yeah, you give him a break. Right, right, But then he, like, at at near the end, he's like, oh, fuck it. Who knows this one? Yeah. Usually I'd say, oh, I fucked that up because I've had a little too much to drink. But tonight, I I think I fucked it up because I haven't had enough. (laughs) I'll get it next time. Next time is about to come. We can gloss over why go in the fixer a little bit here. I don't have much on these two songs because it's about what's happening after these two songs to kind of put a little bit of a bookend on this story here. So at the, at the end of that, he kind of ties in the fixer into this and Ed's thinking aloud here. I'm still thinking about that goddamn Saskatoon song. And then I'm thinking of the fixer. I really want to fix that thing. Is there is there a male singer in the audience that knows that song? Someone handy? Who's got the guts? You right there. You right there. Come on, he's got the guts. You know it? You don't want to fuck up like I did, believe me. Not in front of these people. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe we have a volunteer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Brian. Okay, so now when you're the singer, then, then you you, uh, you turn back and you say, "All right, Matt, we're ready." All right, you just we're good. Here we go. Take two. Yeah. Hey. 
Brian's a good sport. Brian, Brian's doing his job. He knows the lyrics, absolutely. He's not a trained singer at all. And I don't think anybody would have expected that. But you hear kind of like a little bit midway through the verse, Ed's like, okay, I'll help harmonize this. <laughs> help yeah, this yeah. sound pretty good. And and it does like when, when he kind of comes in, you're like, oh, okay, now this feels like like music. And that's, you know, look, Brian's probably a, a weekly listener. We don't want to insult him. But he did a great job. Yeah, look, it takes, like like I said, it takes guts to go up there with one of the most important bands of the last 30 years. So good for him. And and to even get that opportunity is once in a lifetime. Like how many fans have actually gotten the chance to go out on stage? Just a handful. Just a handful. Yeah. You know, you can almost count on two hands. Maybe give one more hand and, and then you can't count on more than three hands. Yeah. But I don't know if you caught this. This this had me cracking up when Ed starts coming in for the chorus and he's singing. And he's like, oh, sorry, Ed. How is that not the best Canadian thing that you can think of? Like, uh-huh. it's just... Oh. Of course he had to do it because, you know, Canadians are very apologetic. They're they're very, you know, friendly. They're very nice. And, they're yeah, nice. right. And, you know, any time that somebody interrupts or you think you're getting in or do, oh, so, oh, sorry, so sorry. And that happens here. It just had me cracking up because it's just that is Canada in a nutshell. You know, I, I give Brian a lot of credit because, A, he stepped up. He knew the words. He didn't blank in front of this crowd in front of the microphone with Pearl Jam on stage and blank on the lyrics he got through it he knew the words I think he was helping Ed out you know it's easier to sing along with someone who knows the words than it is to sing them by yourself so Ed can kind of piggyback off what he's doing and be like okay yeah I got that word so I know that part so I can sing this and then like you know give Brian credit because he gets the wine bottle he takes a couple of swigs holds it up then checks out checks the stage right he's out so he did what he was supposed to do. He didn't linger. He didn't ruin the moment. He didn't try to make it about him. He did what he was supposed to do, and then he got the fuck out. So great job, Brian. You got to take a swig of wine, too. Yeah. I believe it's there somewhere. Yeah. Yep. So for anybody that was getting confused, like Ed was getting confused, the chorus is Moose Jaw, Broadview, Mooseman 2. That one tossed me up. The Mooseman thing tossed me up because I'm like, is that one full word or is he actually saying, you know, as well? Moose and back. men or something? Moose men. Moose men, yeah. Moose men too. And which is weird because he just said moose. He just said moose jaw. So he's bringing mm. that back twice in there. Running back to Saskatoon. Red Deer, Terrace, Hannah, Medicine Hat. Sing another prairie tune. So I look, that's not places that I really get talked about a whole lot. So I can understand getting tossed up on those. But you can add this to the very good trivia question of how many songs have been played twice at the same Pearl Jam show? Are there any others aside from the Rockin' in the Free World thing from uh, the Polo Fields? I don't know. I think there have been some that would be like some have been tagged and then played. Oh, um, well, here, how about the time that Porch was Ed's pre-show song and then they played yeah. it in the regular set? Does that count? Could maybe, you could maybe put an asterisk by that, sure. We got to mention this. He improvs a little bit at the end and makes mention of Mudhoney. That, was, that stuff was yeah, that great. Was cool. 
yeah. worked in the worked in the album title, the Every Good Boy uh, yeah, Deserves That was yeah. well done. Yeah. Excellent stuff. And I think he looks over at Jeff or Jeff Jeff looks over at him and just has this big grin on him like, hey, you actually you actually did something there. Nice job there. It was it's just fun performance. It's just fun and something for the crowd to take home and a way to connect them yep. at again, we mentioned this is all just crowd participation kind of stuff in these two encores here. Porch, Bob O'Reilly, Yellow Ledbetter, that is going to consist of what would be bread and butter, a little bit of margarine or whatever. It's a little different, but Saskatoon is going to be immediately transitioned into Porch, which I thought sounded great because you don't think that that's going to happen. You think that maybe they get a second and sort of laugh it off and then go into the song. But no, they, they, they make a nice little moment out of that. So as for the version goes, I think you got a little stone solo alert. Let's bring out the siren for that. <laughs> the McCready moment but it feels like they do go back to back in a little bit of this but just like even flow this felt like a rather short version of porch when you consider the alternative to it and it's almost sounded at the end i know you're not a zeppelin fan but it kind of sounded like stone was gonna lead into uh nobody's fault but mine but <laughs> didn't it, it kind of had that vibe to it and i know that they've done it at a show or two before but not really much more than just doing that little riff and it might have been Mike not even Stone but this version was Stone Stone had a good night and I like when Porch gets back to that showstopper spot you know it reminds me of you know 93 94 version so well, I like it getting uh, uh getting moved around in the, in the set a little bit I wish they would do that more like close the show with it they haven't done that in forever Hey, they mentioned before that they don't really do the Guess Who, but of course they are going to bring up the Who here, so I think that might have been a little bit of a tie-in to what he said before. Just fun to get Bob O'Reilly. Of course, there's great crowd participation on it. There's great participation on it wherever they go. There is a nice little moment towards the end of the song when the tambourines come out. Ed hops off the stage and sees all the way off to the side on Stone's side that there's a guy in a wheelchair who's right up in front. There's not a lot of people around him, so like there's no pushing up against him or anything like that. He has his own little section. Ed hops off the stage, hands a tambourine to them, and that's a nice little moment. That was really good for Ed to spot out and get to see. And you're ending the night pretty loose, where maybe in the main set, you didn't have much of that looseness. I think it was just kind of like, all right, let's get from song to song. And it found its way to to be a fun show towards the end oh yeah they're in a great mood and like you're in saskatoon why not just go for it and and keep going and it felt like you know we're going to talk about lead better in a minute it felt like they just didn't want this night to end like if they could they would have just kept on playing these people they were having a great time yeah what do you got on lead better just that at the ending it sounded like you know mike just wanted to keep going on and on and on it felt like 
he was he was trying to to let it go as much as he could trying to drag it out and like enjoy this you know this last moment here with these with these fans you know for as long as he could it was nice again for a crowd like that you know you do want to lengthen that because they're probably thinking in their heads like when are we really going back to saskatoon right but it was probably one of those things where they said it in 2005 and here we are so they did make good on a promise if they did make i i don't i don't remember which way but if they were able to make a promise back then then they at least made good on it some cities don't get that so at least yeah. at least you were able to get to okay that's the end of the show let's get into some top three moments i believe i'm number one this week i'm the first one to go i'm gonna say number three is not for you and I just love the interpretation with adding the kid in there, adding Dave in there, and his connection and conversation with him before the song was was really nice. Big stone moment. You know, felt like you were building up to something massive when you were doing the little jam in between. And I thought that was a very good performance. I'm going to say n- number two is going to be running back to Saskatoon. This is probably the moment that everybody thinks about when you think about this show. And of course, because the location is linked with the name of the song and getting a fan up on the stage, like that's the moment everybody's going to go back to. But I didn't pick it as number one because of that, because it felt like it was a typical number one song. I'm going to pick do the evolution is my number one. I, I I think it's just sometimes when you can look over songs because again, it sounds like the average of 537 versions of this. And this one felt like it got lifted a little bit and you're like, okay, evolution. What do you got for me? All right. We're looking good. 2011 when they go down in a couple weeks after that, they're going to go down to South America. That song is going to change. That song is going to change and, and really start to bring out the South American crowd. That's going to sing along on that so yeah but good that they were in good spirits with it at this point that's my top three what's going to be yours my number three is going to be black i thought that that was like a really passionate version like we talked about and getting to hear the crowd take it was kind of foreshadowing for what would be the rest of the show the part two of the show like we talked about so my number two is actually not for you with the kid dave getting the the call out there i thought that was super cool and my number one's gonna be the running back to Saskatoon with Brian, the fan who comes out and sings. I thought you know that that's the big moment from this show, hands down. So th- that's it. I think we've done the Saskatoon duology, if you will. I don't know if we'll ever get back, but this we won't be running back to Saskatoon anytime soon. No, probably not for a third time. About Moose, even Jaw, though they even though they played you, it three times in two Moose shows. Moose them in two. Hey, Red we'll Deer, see. Terrace, Hannah, we'll Medicine see. Hat. Do you think they're all Pearl Jam fans there? Sure, somewhere on the prairie. I'm sure Danielle knows some people. Well, one of those towns, you've got to think that they're another of 350. There's got to be the Danielle version of the Pearl Jam fanatic in one of those, right? Yeah, we'll have to like check some local papers and see if anyone's been written up for their uh, Pearl Jam fandom. Come on, Medicine Hat. We know you're there. All right. We get to rate this show now. And this is weird to rate. Like, I don't know what to think of this in an overall sense. I thought that the main set and I didn't really want to bring it up, but like it just lacks story. It was just a bunch of songs that were kind of put together. And that that's sort of, you know, in when you're watching the show there and especially in Saskatoon, it doesn't matter because it's like, holy shit, they came back. But when you're listening to it over bootleg, it's a little bit of a different viewpoint. And it's just like, you want there to be connections. You want there to be, 
you know, reactions and, and things like that. And that you want there to be fan moments. And it really, it was not there for a lot of the main set for sure. But I look, no performance was bad at all. All the performances were fine. I just didn't really find the Pearl Jam show groove until a little bit later. And I don't know if that soured me on it, but it kind of felt like at the end, you're like, all right, yep, this does feel normal. However, if it felt like that throughout the whole entire set, I think it would get a higher rating than I'm going to give it. I think it's a seven and a half. And, you know, it, it has the big moment. It does have the big moment that, you know, if you're thinking about what are your top three moments that you can remember from 2011, running back to Saskatoon is probably on it. If you're not counting PJ 20 stuff, which you would get probably about 20 to 30 moments that you can mention from both of those shows. But yeah, Saskatoon is one of the ones that they're going to remember, but it just needed to be complete. And I didn't see a complete show out of this. So that's where I am with the seven and a half. I'm right there with you. Seven and a half. I mean, the Saskatoon is the big moment, but it just didn't have enough in the main set. I thought, like you said, it was a little disjointed. It didn't have really a narrative to go through and very, very crowd friendly at the end. And like, again, seven and a half, a very good rating, like not, not bad at all. This is a fun show to listen to. There's not a full YouTube clip of it, but the Saskatoon stuff is on there. So you can go check that out and have a good time. It only take a few minutes to watch. Yeah, it was it was it was a great show to listen to. Seven and a half. Yeah, like you said, seven and a halves are not bad shows at all. You know, I think that eights and eights and a half, you're just really impressed and weren't expecting it. You know what I mean? Like the raking skill is just hard, guys. Like not a lot of people get honest about that, and thankfully you don't because don't think it's that important, but entertainment purposes only. Exactly. Yeah, we've we've had a couple people in the past in the way way past that were just like i don't get that you did that for this show and then you like the other i'm just like what's the point man just listen and enjoy what we talked about instead of putting the superficial stamp on it it just doesn't matter what we did was we talked about a pearl jam show that was pretty good for about an hour and a half so take that into the equation and enjoy that Next week's hour and a half that we're going to be doing is going to kick off the preparation into the 2022 dates that are going to be held in September and some of the locations there. We're not going to do every single location, but we're going to do some for some places that we haven't talked about in a long time or we haven't talked about at all. So the first one up we're going to do Camden. We're not doing them in any specific order here, but Camden's going to be first, especially because the year that we chose from Camden is a year that we really never get to talk about at all. And it's 2006. They did two back to back that year. And we're going to be doing the second night of that. A lot to talk about there. So that'll be next week. And thanks everybody for listening. If you want to, help out the show, then make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts on those platforms. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, just leave us a five-star rating and then leave us a comment as well. We just want everybody to be able to see that and know what they can expect going into the show. And uh, for all the people that have done that, thank you so much. It has been a major, major help. So that's all we got for this one. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, 
miss you already. And I miss you always. John, do you want me to help you with the lyrics on this? Sing this another job, broad view. Sing another prairie tune.